Amen. Good evening. You can be seated. Welcome. So glad you're here tonight. So glad those of you that are joining us online are joining us online tonight. Trust that everyone will be blessed that they did. A couple things before we get started. I'm hoping to provide a Maui missions update on Sunday, uh, Lord willing. And then also on Sunday, Steve White is on island, and I've asked him to uh, provide us with a brief missions update from the Philippines. And uh, that's this Sunday prior to both of our uh, morning services. So looking forward to that. Tonight, Ezekiel chapter 32, we're making our way through this um, amazing book, <laughs> for lack of a better word. Uh, tonight we, uh, we kind of end, we really kind of hung in there uh, with these uh, chapters. They've been kind of brutal, and tonight is no exception. Uh, good news, next week we turn a very sharp corner in Ezekiel, and uh, sort of. I, be I better qualify that, because uh, it's still, uh, I mean, but it's not quite like what we have before us tonight. So let's pray, if you would join with me, Father. Please, we, first of all, we thank You, God, so much. And we're so grateful to You for Your Word. And as tough as it is, as hard as it might be, it is good. And Lord, You always have a Word fitly spoken for us. No matter where we're at in Your Word, it's where we're at in our lives. And that's because Your Word is alive. So Lord, tonight, would You, as only You can, we so look forward to these Thursday night Bible studies. Lord, that's our time together. And we know that You are going to speak to us in and through Your Word. You always do. So will You do that tonight for us? Many of us brought with us, and those watching online, bring to our time together in Your Word just many struggles and issues and difficulties and hardships. And, and that's why we have a chapter like we have before us tonight, as strange as it might seem. So will you speak in and through this chapter into our lives in that still, small, refining voice, very gently, very personally, I mean unmistakably, <laughs> so much so that we know it's you, because only you know that about us. So Lord speak, we just want to commit this Bible study to you, and with great anticipation we're look, looking forward to what it is that you're going to do. So speak, Lord. Your servants are listening, we pray. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. All right, so this chapter, uh, it is a brutally humbling one inasmuch as we understand this lamentation for Pharaoh, specific to when he fell and why he fell. And this is one of those chapters where you ask yourself, why do we even have a chapter like this in our Bibles? And I think one of the reasons we do is because 
a chapter like this speaks to how the horror we're about to see could have been avoided in the end. Now, as we go through this, that better said, as we get and gut through this, <laughs> what I hope will become abundantly clear is that had Pharaoh but repented, this could have all been prevented. And so I want us to, through that lens, as we just, I mean, got through this, uh, I should probably warn you ahead of time, um, we're, we're kind of going to go to hell tonight in a way. I mean, we're, we're at, it's going to get very graphic and very uh, poetic and prophetic, but graphic nonetheless. Um, but this is the takeaway for us tonight. The takeaway is that we too can repent in humility and prevent the fall that always ensues when we refuse. Let me say the same thing in a different way. I know that kind of rhymed actually. But everything that we're about to read and see here in this chapter, as horrific as it is, could have been avoided. And so too in our lives, and this is the application person, the takeaway for us tonight. Oh, what pain and sorrow and horror can be avoided and prevented if we as God's people had repented. That's what I want us to understand as we go through this. And by the way, we're going to need that understanding as we go through this, lest we misunderstand what this chapter is all about. So you ready? That was the introduction. Should we bow our heads, close our eyes, and anybody that wants to go and save yourself, now would be a good time. Okay, well verse 1, we got another prophetic timestamp here which is here for a reason. And it came to pass in the twelfth year, in the twelfth month, on the first day of the month. Now why is that prophetic timestamp important? Because it's been about one year now since Jerusalem and Judah and the temple were destroyed. A year has gone by. And think about the past year, Egypt has watched this and fancied themselves, Pharaoh in particular, as being invincible, even potentially gloating in it, becoming proud in the wake of it. And so we need to know that a year has gone by. And heretofore, Pharaoh has been unchecked until now. And the word of the Lord comes to Ezekiel, that the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, take up a lamentation for Pharaoh king of Egypt. Understand, a lamentation is a funeral dirge. This is a funeral uh, speech, you know, when, when there's been a death. And that's what a lamentation is, it's a mourning, it's a, it's a, it's, it's a memory, and it's a funeral basically. Take up a funeral 
for Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and say to him, now listen to this, you were like a young lion among the nations, and you were like a monster in the seas, bursting forth in your rivers, troubling the waters with your feet, and fouling their rivers. You know that saying, muddying the waters? Well, that's what they were doing. Now, Pharaoh had seen himself as a lion, king of the jungle, right? And a monster of the sea. And he was causing trouble, troubling the water, stirring things up like the crocodile and fouling the rivers, muddying things up, stirring things up. He was bullying, threatening, troubling as a sea monster and a young lion. So now what's God's response? Thus says the Lord, verse 3, I will therefore spread my net over you with a company of many people, and they will draw you up in my net. Then verse 4, I will leave you on the land. I will cast you out on the open fields and cause to settle on you all the birds of the heavens. And with you, I will fill the beasts of the whole earth. I will lay your flesh on the mountains and fill the valleys with your carcass. I hope you didn't have a big dinner. This, you ain't seen nothing yet, by the way. We're just getting started here. Okay, wait. So, by the way, this literally happened. It was fulfilled in what we know today as modern day Libya, which was actually the ancient name as well. And uh, this is exactly what happened to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and those with him their bodies piled up, their carcasses laid open, and the birds of the air fed on them, picked. Is that too much? That was too much. Verse 6, I will also water the land with the flow of your blood, even to the mountains. That's a lot of blood, reminiscent of the blood rising to the horse's bridle in the Valley of Megiddo, the Battle of Armageddon, the Valley of Jezreel, the final battle, which is really not much of a battle, when all the armies are brought to Megiddo. That's a lot of blood, the flow of your blood even to the mountains, and the riverbeds will be full of you. I, I, I won't, I'll just leave that to your imagination. Verse 7, when I put out your light, listen to this, I will cover the heavens and make its stars dark. I will cover the sun with a cloud, and the moon shall not give her light. All the bright lights of the heavens I will make dark over you and bring darkness upon your land, says the Lord. Is this reminiscent of the ninth plague? You, do you know why, by the way, the why behind the what of this? Well, Egypt worshiped the sun gods. And God's going, oh, you like sun gods? You worship the sun? <laughs> you ain't going to have any sun, because I'm going to take the light in the heaven, the sun, 
and I'm going to make it dark like I did in the plagues. Complete darkness. Now, I underlined this because I want to expound on this, because I think it has application to us tonight. I will make dark over you, a darkness will set in, and bring darkness upon your land. Is it not true that when we're so full of pride, unwilling, stiff-necked, hard-hearted, unwilling to humble ourselves and repent, does not darkness always ensue, almost by default? You know, you, you maybe have said it like this or heard it said like this. They're, they're just in a very dark place right now. Oh, well, what do we know to be true about God? There is no darkness in Him at all. He is light. In fact, the description we have of heaven, and by the way, we're going to get a description of hell tonight. The description we have of heaven is that there's, there's no need for the Son, because He is the light. And by the way, I can't wait for this. No more night. No, wait, no, think about that. We're not going to have to sleep, because we're not going to be tired for all eternity. There's not going to be this, you know, I'm just going to shut my eyes and just try to take a real quick nap here. No. And, and then, you know, hey, it gets, gets dark early, you know, daylight savings time on the mainland. I, I, I love living in Hawaii. All those years on the mainland, it would get dark at like 3.30 p.m. And it wouldn't get light till 7.30 a.m. And, and this is a thing, by the way, they call it SAD, uh, Seasonal Affective Disorder, because you were light deprived, because it was always, you, you went to work, you drove to work in the dark, you came home at the end of the day, it was dark. You're just in darkness, very depressing. And you get low on vitamin D and serotonin too, by the way. In fact, light creates the serotonin, as does darkness melatonin which is why you start getting sleepy, like you are right now. <laughs> so, sorry, it's a gift. I love it when people say, you know, I fall asleep listening to you. Wow. Wow. And then you scream, and then you wake me up. I say, okay, good. But let's just talk about this darkness before we move on to verse 9, because I think we would do well to understand this. In Him is no darkness at all. And if we're walking in the light, the light of His truth, then there is no darkness. I, I, I hope you don't tire of this. I know it's a, a dorky illustration, but for lack of a better one, have you ever wondered to yourself why there's no such thing as a dark switch, only a light switch? I'll give you a moment, I know. but. You think about it, you turn the light on, where does the darkness go? Bye-bye. Because the light's on, the darkness is gone. But when you turn the light off, that's the dark switch. It's like the dark switch got turned on, because you turned the light switch off. And that's what God is saying here. 
I think we would do well to take heed to the Word of God when it comes to our pride and our unwillingness to humble ourselves, to prevent, to repent, because there will be a darkness that will come in and come upon you. Verse 9, I will also, and this is interesting, trouble the hearts of many peoples. You've troubled, you've been a troublemaker, you've brought trouble upon many. I'm going to trouble you. When I bring your destruction among the nations into the countries which you have not known. Yes, verse 10, I will make many peoples astonished at you, and their kings shall be horribly afraid of you when I brandish my sword before them, and they shall tremble every moment, every man for his own life in the day of your fall. Because pride always comes before the day of your fall. So and then the people that looked at you, feared you, are going to be horrified. And, and a fear and a trembling will set in. Why? Because if that can happen to Pharaoh, it can certainly happen to me, because Pharaoh and Egypt and their might, we're going to see it here in a moment, their pomp, their plenty, their pride, they were high and mighty. And oh, how the mighty are fallen. And it is going to be astonishing to the people that witness it. And a horror will come upon them, a fear, a dread, a trembling. Every man will fear for his own life when they see what I'm going to do to you on the day of your fall. Verse 11, all could have been prevented. This could have all been avoided. Verse 11, for thus says the Lord God, the sword of the king of Babylon shall come upon you. Now, interesting detail here, because keep in mind now, Ezekiel is still in Tel Aviv in Babylon, not Tel Aviv in Israel, Tel Aviv in Babylon, when he receives this word from the Lord. <laughs> we'll see this, I think, next week. Can't wait. Um, Nobody gave Ezekiel the time of day, like Jeremiah before him, Isaiah as well with him. They wouldn't give him the time of day. And then everything that he prophesied happened. And they're like sending text Ezekiel right now. Hey, we need to talk. Because, uh, you know, we, we blew you off, shined you on, dismissed you, ridiculed you, mocked you, threatened you, hated you, laughed at you. Now we need to talk with you because everything you said, well, it kind of happened. And, 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 and keep in mind, too, you know, where he's at there in Babylon, Tel Aviv, and he's receiving these words from the Lord, these prophecies. And then he prophesies them and he speaks them. And at the time that he speaks them, they would have been ludicrous, absurd, inconceivable. 
And even now at the time, it's been a year after the destruction of Judah. Again, the importance of that timestamp. One year's gone by and think about it. Here's Egypt. Here's Pharaoh, king of Egypt. A year's gone by. We're invincible. They're destroyed. We'll never be destroyed. No. Uh, This is where we see it now. Verse 12, by the swords of the mighty warriors, all of them the most terrible of the nations, I will cause your multitude to fall. They shall plunder the pomp of Egypt and all its multitude shall be destroyed. So here you are, Egypt. Here you are, Pharaoh. And Judah, Jerusalem, the temple, a year ago, completely destroyed. And you guys are there in all of your pomp and plenty. But now it's going to be plundered and you're going to be destroyed. Also, verse 13, I will destroy all its animals from beside its great waters. Speaking of the Nile, the foot of man shall muddy them no more. Again, you're no longer going to muddy the waters. You're no longer going to stir things up. You're no longer going to trouble, cause trouble. Nor shall the hooves of animals muddy them. Then, verse 14, I will make their waters clear and make their rivers run like oil, nothing to impede them says the Lord God. When I make the land of Egypt desolate, verse 15, and the country is destitute of all that once filled it, when I strike all who dwell in it, and here it is, then they shall know that I am the Lord. Who's going to take down Egypt? And Pharaoh, by the way, was seen as a god. You know that, right? They, they saw Pharaoh as a god to be worshipped. And God's going, no, he's not. I am. Watch me now. You'll see. So I'm going to take him down, and it is just going to be unbelievable. Because what you thought was inconceivable, that Pharaoh, mighty king of Egypt, and Egypt in all of its pomp and plenty, I mean, the wealth was astounding. The gold alone in Egypt, even after the Israelites took a lot of it with them in the Exodus. You know that, right? God said, here, get, take some with you. Here's the jewelry box over here, and you're going to need some gold. And by the way, that's where Aaron got the gold to make the golden calf. That's where he got the idea, because they worshiped the cow and the golden calf in in Egypt. So, I mean, just the, the wealth, the pomp, the pride, the plenty in Egypt, and now it's going to be destroyed? Who's going to do that? Oh, the true and living God is going to do that. And He's going to do it in such a way so that they will know. This, verse 16, is the lamentation with which they shall lament her. The daughters of the nations shall lament her. They shall lament for her. 
for Egypt and for all her multitude, says the Lord God. It came to pass, verse 17. Now, this is very interesting because we've got now another prophetic timestamp, and I think it's here for a very interesting reason. So in verse 1, it was the twelfth year on the first day of the month. But this says now in the twelfth year on the fifteenth day of the month. That's two weeks later. Wait, what? So verse 1, we have a prophetic timestamp, and we're told the day, the year, the month. Here, verse 17, we're told the year, and it's the 15th day. So 14 days has gone by, two weeks. So two weeks later, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, wail over the multitude of Egypt. So two weeks ago, the word came to Ezekiel, lament, take up a lament for Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Two weeks later, the word of the Lord came to me again, saying, two weeks later, wail over the multitude of Egypt. Okay, what's your point? Why is this an important timestamp and interesting? Because think about it, two weeks, Fast forward your life two weeks from now. What can you prevent if you repent from happening in two weeks? <laughs> I better be careful on this one, because I'm the pastor after all, right? So, you know, the man of God that I am. But I'm just speaking hypothetically, right? You know how many times? Have you looked back and said, man, I blew it so bad. I wish I could take that back. I wish I could unsend that email. I wish I wouldn't have said that or handled that that way, because now I'm suffering the consequences of that. Let me try this. I know I do this. I'm just being open with you. I'll look back, maybe not necessarily two weeks, but just for purpose of illustration, I'll look back with fondness, remembering what it was like before. I hope you're connecting, because this is really important. And besides, I can't move on until you do. So we need to get this. This is very important. So here's, here's what that looks like and sounds like. It's kind of like, man, I, I, you'll see something or hear something, or you'll open up a drawer and you'll, you'll see something go, wow, the last time I used that was before that happened. Ugh. Now, there's there's an unhealthy regret. That's a worldly sorrow and regret, but there's also a godly sorrow. It's, it's not so much the regret, but it's the godly sorrow that leads to a genuine repentance. See, there's two kinds of sorrow. There's a sorrow of being caught. I'm sorry. You know, like when you get pulled over, I'm a, I have I'm a law-abiding citizen. Actually, I've never, well, I can't say that. I was pulled over 
a while back, but I haven't had a speeding ticket in over 35 years. Yeah. <laughs> just so we're clear. So if this is, again, just hypothetical illustration. If this applies to you, I won't look at you, but if the shoe fits, you get pulled over for exceeding the speed limit. What, what do you say? I'm sorry. No, you're not. You're only sorry that you got caught. Because if you were genuinely sorry, you would change your driving habits. So a godly sorrow leads to change. That's what repentance is. It's a 180. You do an about face. You change. That's what repentance is. You just, you have a change of mind. You change your driving habits. That's a true repentance. And you can prevent hefty fines, loss of your driver's license. Need I go further? Again, hypothetically for me, this is foreign to me. I know nothing of this. I'm speaking to you, someone here tonight. The Lord is, you know who you are. But that's the sorrow of being caught. You regret being caught. You don't regret speeding or running that light. You know what I'm talking about. Yellow, slow down or proceed with caution. No. Speed up and get, get through it so you're not stuck at it. Especially some lights on this island. You know which ones I'm talking about? I don't mean to go off, but just let me have this one, okay? There's a couple of lights. And you know what intersections they are. I mean, if you get stuck, and by the way, if you approach it and it goes from yellow to red, and you're the first one in line at the longest light on the island, you might as well get your toothbrush and pajamas ready. You're going to be there a while. No, seriously. I mean, you're anyway, that has no application whatsoever. I don't think I could try to make it fit with the Bible study. But you, you run that light and you get caught. Oh, true story, by the way, this is good. Um, in, I think it was California, uh, they, have, they have the cameras that take a picture of a car running a red light, and it, it, it gets your license plate number, and it sends you in the mail the ticket for running the red light with a photo of your car. Yeah, running the red light. So you don't get pulled over, but you're caught on camera running the red light. So you're going to get a ticket in the mail with the fine. True story. So guy gets his, you know, he runs a red light. He knew he did it. And he gets in the mail the ticket. I don't know what the fine was, a couple hundred dollars. And, you know, in the, the, you know, running the red light on this date, here's the photo, here's your car, here's your license plate number. That's you, by the way. So uh, here's the fine. You need to mail it in. So the guy, I mean, what a smart aleck, okay? He takes a picture of the $200 and sends it in with the ticket that they sent him in the mail. No, that's kind of, kind of funny a little bit. You got to appreciate the humor. It's actually very creative, okay? So then they sent him back a photo 
of handcuffs. <laughs> True story, years ago. Needless to say, he paid it. Was he sorry? He was sorry he got caught on camera. But if he was really sorry and repented, then it would have prevented him doing that in the future, if it was a godly sorrow. That wasn't too bad, right? Okay, because the whole point was, what can you prevent tonight from happening two weeks from tonight, if you would but repent? Go backwards if you need to rewind before you fast forward to the last time. If I, <laughs> I could have prevented that from happening. Well, now you got a, you got another chance because God's the God of endless chances, right? So again, why is this interesting and important? Because this time stamp of two weeks later is significant in that sense, that there was still a two week window as it were, as it applies to us. We still have time to prevent and repent. So two weeks later, wail over the multitude of Egypt. And here's where it gets brutal. Cast them down to the depths of the earth, her and the daughters of the famous nations, with those who go down to the pit. Now this is an interesting question in verse 19. Whom do you surpass in beauty? Egypt, Pharaoh, my aunt. I've, I've shared this with you. Uh, even when I was there, it was many years ago now, it's stunning. And that's in its fallen, diminished state. Can you imagine at that time the beauty, unsurpassing beauty? So whom do you surpass in beauty? Rhetorical in the sense that there's no one as beautiful and majestic as you. Well, now watch this. Go down, be placed with the uncircumcised. They shall fall in the midst of those slain by the sword. She is delivered to the sword, drawing her and all her multitudes. Verse 21, listen to this. The strong among the mighty shall speak to him out of the midst of hell. Hang on to that. With those who help him. They have gone down. They lie with the uncircumcised, slain by the sword. Okay. Pharaoh's going to go to hell. We're going to get a little glimpse, a little snapshot of what hell is like tonight in this chapter, by the way. Uh, they're going to speak to him as he enters the midst of hell. Uh, they're going to be that down there with him. And oh, by the way, um, I hate to ra rain on your parade or ruin your party, but you're not going to be partying in hell. 
conspicuously absent from any description of hell like the one before us tonight is any mention of beer or a keg or a party. No, it's torment. And this again is poetic and prophetic. Ezekiel is painting this picture of what it's going to be like for Pharaoh when he goes to hell. They're going to, these are the strong among the mighty. In other words, you'll forgive the comparison, but it would be akin to when Pharaoh goes to hell. I know the timing is not right, but it's like he's going to hear Hitler, Stalin, all of these mighty horrible people that are already in hell, speak to him. Come on in. We're all here. I mean, that just gives me pause. Well, who's all here? Well, we're going to find out right now. Verse 22, Assyria is there and all her company with their graves all around her, all of them slain, fallen by the sword. Her graves, verse 23, are set in the recesses of the pit, and her company is all around her grave, all of them slain, fallen by the sword, who caused, listen, terror in the land of the living. They terrorize people. They, they kill people, millions of people. When they were on earth in the land of the living, well, now they're in hell. They're there. And these are those that are going to speak to Pharaoh upon his arrival. There's Elam. I mean, it's almost like we're getting a, a tour. You, 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 upon arrival, you, you, you say, oh, they're there. Oh, look who's here. Assyria's, Assyria. oh, over there, that's Elam. And all her multitude. They're there too all around her grave, all of them slain, fallen by the sword, who have gone down uncircumcised. By the way, this mention of uncircumcised is a just, I mean, it is the lowest uh, and greatest of, of insults in death, because believe it or not, the Egyptians in particular practice circumcision. So to go down with the uncircumcised, that's like going down with the lowest of the lowest of the low to the lower parts of the earth, who caused their terror in the land of the living. Now they bear their shame with those who go down to the pit. Can you just kind of wrap your mind around this? I mean, don't take it too far. It's unnecessary. But I think we need to take it far enough to really wrap our minds around what Ezekiel is told to write. Um, they had their day when they were in the land of the living. And now they're going to pay for that day that they had in the land of the living, when they caused terror in the land of the living. When they, you know, we, we often, 
refer to Hitler, but there were many others like Hitler, with Hitler, before Hitler, that literally murdered, butchered millions and millions and millions of people. They're there. That's what they did when they were on earth. Well, now they're not on earth, they're down in the pit. So we got Assyria, we got Elam. They have set her bed in the midst of the slain, verse 25, with all her multitude, with her graves all around it, all of them uncircumcised, slain by the sword, though their terror was caused in the land of the living, yet they bear their shame with those who go down to the pit. It was put in the midst of the slain. This is right smack in the middle. And who else is there? There are Meshach and Tubal, and all their multitudes, with all their graves around it, all of them uncircumcised, slain by the sword, though they caused their terror in the land of the living. So they're there too, along with all the rest. You know, one of the questions that is asked, often asked actually, is are we going to know each other in heaven? Do you wonder about that? I, I heard one pastor, I, I, this is not me, so don't email me. <laughs> one pastor, when he was asked this question about, are we going to know each other in heaven? His answer, such an unloving pastor, I know nothing of this. He said, listen, of course we are. We're not going to be more stupid in heaven. Again, that wasn't me. I didn't say that. He said that. I would never say that. Actually, I would and probably have. But no, that's true, right? I mean, my goodness, how, how are we? Well, just because we don't understand. I mean, the, the, the ear is not heard. The eye has not perceived. It is, Paul said it is criminal to try to even explain what the glory we see through a, a, a glass darkly, dimly. It's blurry. There's no way in the finite we could possibly comprehend what awaits us in, the, in eternity, in, in, in the infinite. Did I say that right? I sure hope I did. You got the point? So here's what I'm thinking. They're going to know each other in hell. I mean, we're, we've got by name, Pharaoh, come on in. <laughs> There's a Syria over here. Oh, I remember you, Paul because they were locals. <laughs> Elam, yeah, Meshach and Tubal. I mean, they, they know each other in hell, but they're in torment in hell, but they know each other in hell. But this is what, in fact, John says this, we're going to know no in heaven, we'll know no man in the flesh. In other words, we're going to, I'm going to know you but not as you were in the flesh. And aren't you glad, by the way? No, think about that. That alone, worth the price of admission. You'll never remember. You'll know who I am. JD. Am I going to have a name tag? Hi, my name is JD. No, you're going to know who I am, and I'm going to know who you are, but we're not going to know each other as we knew each other down here. Thank you, Jesus. Right? 
Now keep in mind, we have our glorified bodies. What does that mean? We also have our glorified minds. So, I, I mean, don't try to figure out who knows the mind of the Lord. But what we do know is we are going to know each other in heaven. And by the way, I, I think about this. And I mean, I get a little excited because I'm going to get to, and so are you, we're going to get to meet guys like Noah. I, I, I don't know, is he going to have a beard like Pastor Mac? You, no, no way, Noah. <laughs> it's Noah. Hey, JD, I, I heard about you. Come on over. Let's talk story, brah. <laughs> that, I know that was too much for sure. I, Paul, Peter, I, I, I got so many guys I just I can't wait to talk to. I want to talk to Job. Not right away. <laughs> I know we're in glory, but still, come on. But Job's going to be there. And we're going to know them. And it's the antithesis of what is being described for us tonight. They're going to know each other in hell by name, in torment. And we're going to know each other by name in heaven, in glory, for all eternity. Is that not chicken skin? And by the way, if it's connected to and predicated upon what they did in the land of the living when they're in hell, then so too. Wouldn't it stand to reason that it would be connected to and predicated upon what we did in the land of the living when we're in heaven? We talked about that, I think, on Sunday. Our lives down here are going to determine how we spend all of eternity talking about <laughs> Not that there's going to be regret in heaven, but I think to myself, man, I mean, we talked about 90 years of age, because we don't want to use 70, because that's a little bit, yeah, no. Uh, so even if you live 90 years on this earth, or even 100 years compared to eternity, what you do in that 100 years determines your treasures in heaven, your rewards, for all of eternity. And if you could do it all over again, as we say, what would you do differently? Everything. I would have spent more time doing this and less time that, or no time doing this and all the time doing that, if I'd have known that. Verse 27, they do not lie with the mighty who are fallen of the uncircumcised, who have gone down to hell with their weapons of war. Stop right there. Aha. One of the things, the description of even the millennial reign, the millennium, and then eternity future, their, their war will cease. Just that, just think about that. War will cease. Because now we have the Prince of Peace ruling and reigning. No more war. Isn't it interesting that we have this detail recorded for us, that they've gone 
to hell, and they've taken their weapons of war with them. They have laid their swords under their heads. That's a good place for them. But their iniquities will be on their bones. Why? Because of the terror of the mighty in the land of the living. They terrorized people. They butchered people. They murdered people. They killed people. They bullied people. Yes, verse 28, you shall be broken in the midst of the uncircumcised and lie with those slain by the sword. Oh, verse 29, there's Edom. I mean, wow, you know, I mean, I, okay, I got Assyria and Meshach, Tubal, Elam. Oh, no way. Edom's here. Yeah, Edom's here. Her kings and all her princes, who despite their might, are laid beside those slain by the sword. They shall lie with the uncircumcised and with those who go down to the pit. This is probably as good of a time as any, and we'll bring the Bible study to a close shortly. But you know the three responses when that trumpet sounds and the dead in Christ rise first, and we who are alive and remain are caught up to meet the Lord in the air. And then if you want to fast forward to the second coming, the many who will come to Christ, known affectionately as the tribulation saints during the seven year tribulation, not to mention Israel as a nation coming to salvation in the midst of the seven year tribulation. So they too, there's going to be three responses. So let's talk about the rapture, because that's where we're going, is up in the rapture, right? Good. See? Oh, you guys. Yeah. So three responses. You know what they are? First one, I want you to think this through. I know it's, it's uh, an illustration, but it really is true. It makes sense. Watch this. First response, <gasps> I'm here. I mean, that's just going to be, you know, how we say, when I get to heaven, I'm a, I've got a few questions. No, you're not going to ask any. You're going to be going. <laughs> Besides, all those questions are going to go, never mind. <laughs> I, in fact, there's not going to be any questions. There's going to be a lot of ah and a lot of oh. Because on oh. Never mind. I, now I now I understand. <laughs> so first response, <gasps> I'm here. Second response, they're here. No. Am I right? Somebody's coming to mind right now. You're like they're here. Kind of. Ruined the, the first reaction. I'm here. Oh, they're here too. <laughs> but here's the third response, a little sobering. Where are they? So here we are. We're, we're kind of taken <laughs> to hell. <laughs> Thank you very much, Ezekiel. Uh, we're, we're, we're taken to hell and we're told who's there. 
And by the way, ACDC uh, on the highway to hell, all my friends are going to be there. Well, that is partly true. But it's not that your friends aren't going to be there. It's you're not going to be doing what you think you're going to be doing there. You're going to be gnashing your teeth, tormented. So I don't know. I'm trying my best to, this is just brutal. So let's just try to bring it to an end. There's Edom. And again they go down to the pit, verse 30, there are the princes of the north, all of them, and all the Sidonians who have gone down with the slain in shame at the terror, there it is again, which they caused by their might. Oh, I wonder about those who cause what they cause in our day today. This is their fate could be prevented if they would have but repented, the worst of them. But this is their fate. Those who cause terror by their might, these are the power players, the powerful people of the world that with a stroke of their pen or a click of their mouse, ruin people's lives, giving no thought to the destruction they cause, not knowing that God takes note. And they're going to go to hell. Literally, they're going to go to hell for what they did. They lie unsafe. Can I just, will you indulge me in a sanctified satisfaction of God having the final word? Because He's a just God, and they have and will receive their just due. Their day is coming. Because right now, you look about the world, and you see what is being done to people, and you think, it's almost like they're getting away with it. And I, I need an Ezekiel 32 to remind me, oh no, they're not. Oh no, they're not. Don't think they are. I mean, it looks like they are. It seems that they are. In fact, it even seems like they're prospering. This is Psalm 73. Asaph is the psalmist, and he writes that he just, he almost, I mean, crashed and burned in his faith because of the prosperity of the wicked. It seemed like they were just going about prospering in their wickedness, and here he's suffering in his righteousness. And he said, in fact, it was so bad for him, he said, I, I didn't even want to talk to the brethren because I didn't want to stumble them. I was having a crisis of faith. This is so unjust. These guys are doing horrific things and seemingly getting away with it. And not only getting away with it, they're prospering in it. And then at the end of the psalm, you got to get to the end of the psalm as quickly as possible, by the way. Don't spend too much time in the middle of the psalm. So you're going, yeah, 
Yeah, what's up with that? No, get to the end, because in the end, he goes into the sanctuary of the Lord. That's the best place to go and be. And what does he see? God shows him their end, how it ends for them, when they, in the end, go to hell. And I mean, he snaps out of it. He goes from envying them, being angry with them, to now almost in some way feeling sorry for them when he sees their end. And this is what I think Ezekiel 32 speaks to tonight as well. So the Sidonians bear their shame with those who go down to the pit. Verse 31, Pharaoh, no, I maybe should have left a little bit more time for this, but that's okay. Verse 31 is, is really interesting. Pharaoh will see them and be comforted over all his multitude. Wait, what? <laughs> okay, you've heard this saying, misery loves company. I mean, that is a gross understatement, but that's basically what it's saying. Yeah, I mean, I'm in torment, but at least I'm not. I mean, they're here too. They're suffering too. They're in torment too. There's, there's something about us that doesn't feel so singled out when we know that somebody else is suffering too, because misery loves company. See, if it's just me, I'm, all, I'm there, nobody else. They're not there. Where, where's Elam? Where's, where's the Assyrians? They should be here. I'm here. Where are they? Oh, no. They're, they're here. Oh, whew. It's a hellish comfort. Seeing them. Well, misery loves company. Pharaoh and all his army slain by the sword, says the Lord God. And verse 32, lastly, here it is. And I I want you to notice the, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's almost a paradox. It's a, a dichotomy. For I have caused my terror in the land of the living. And he shall be placed in the midst of the uncircumcised with those slain by the sword, Pharaoh, and all his multitude, says the Lord God. I want to end I mean, I don't want to end this way. This is a horrible ending to a chapter. So I'll do my best. Just bear with me. But did you, did you catch that verse 32? So you're in hell because of the terror you caused. Well, how about this? I'm going to cause my terror on you because of the terror you caused in the land of the living. You want to see terror? I'll show you terror and torment for all eternity. And it's just. Now, next week, oh, I can't wait, chapter 33. We're going to turn a corner. This is a great, I'm going to end chapter 32 by telling you about chapter 33. How's that? Okay. I've been looking forward to teaching chapter 33 for 
a long time. And finally next week, Lord willing, if we're still here, I get to teach chapter 33. It's the, the chapter about the watchman on the wall. Yeah? But towards the end of chapter 33, I would encourage you to read ahead to stay ahead. Um, but towards the end, the fairness of God is brought into question. The judgments of God, the justice of God, the fairness of God. And this, what we're seeing here tonight, is going to dovetail into chapter 33, although it begins sort of a new section in the book of Ezekiel. I mean, this ends, chapter 32 kind of ends, thankfully, ends these prophecies concerning Egypt and Assyria and Judah now. They've, they've all been destroyed. They've all fallen. And now God is going to bring back restoration. And that's what chapter 33 on begins to prophesy concerning. So the fairness of God, the justice of God, I'm saying all that to say this in closing, this is just. I have caused my terror, that's righteous terror, just terror on those who caused terror in the land of the living. His judgments are true and righteous, and amen. And by the way, we're the ones that say amen. So be it. So be it, God. You're just, and this is just. This judgment is just. It is fair, and it is right, and it is righteous. And you'll forgive me, but I can't wait. I can't wait. All right. I probably could have ended before that. So Capone will come on up and save me again. And why don't you stand up and we'll close in prayer. Wow. Whew. We need to have t-shirts made up. I survived Ezekiel chapter 32. I went to hell and came back, hell and back. <laughs> Father, thank you. I know I try to add some levity and laughter. I hope it's appropriate, but especially when dealing with such a, a serious subject matter of which this is. But for us, it's the opposite of this. It's heaven, not hell. It's glory, not torment. It's no more sorrow, not lamentation and suffering. So Lord, I, I just pray that it, as we make our way home tonight and go about our way and end our week and start our weekends, that the Holy Spirit would not let us get away with leaving this here where it's at. Lord, by the Holy Spirit, will you teach us from this so that we can prevent anything resembling remotely anything like this by humbling ourselves before you and repenting. Lord, thank you. This was uh, 
This was tough stuff, but good stuff. So thank you, Lord. You take it from here now, Lord. The Holy Spirit needs to take it to the next level. And thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. In the twinkling of night, he is coming. Like a thief in the night, he'll be there. We shall meet him in the air in all his glory. Maranatha, he is coming, he'll be there. If he came here today, would you be ready? Do you know for sure that he's your Lord? By accepting Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you will live with the King forevermore. Maranatha, Maranatha, Jesus is coming again. Maranatha, Maranatha, Jesus is coming again. He's coming again. Amen and amen. God bless you.